Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. When was the last time you did something for the very first time? Now, we're going to think about that a little bit today. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Hey, one of our helpful partners for today's show is Audible.com. You've heard me talk about it. You can find over 150 book titles there, done in an audio format, so you can get the book content when you're driving down the road, or when you're mowing the yard, or sitting in the back porch. I'll be giving you more information about that with some particular recommendations here in a little bit, but you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days to get your free first audiobook download. Now, hang on, don't do that yet, because I want to tell you one I really want you to have today. Now, when was the last time you did something for the very first time? I asked somebody that recently, and she looked at me like a deer in the headlights, and she could not recall anything. I mean, she couldn't recall a time in any recent history where she had done something for the very first time. I thought, golly, how sad. That means her life is the same today as it was three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Now we'll circle back around to that because there's certainly a lot of examples that relate to that. Here's some other questions we're going to look at. When is it wise to brand your product with your own name versus the business name? Now people are referring to fact that I'm known primarily as 48 days, not Dan Miller. We'll talk about that. How do you move from charging by the hour to charging by the project? What are the disadvantages to doing your 48 days program in a longer time frame than 48 days? Great question. We'll unpack that. Dan, how do you go about handling your speaking fees and taxes? Well, Again, the quotation, you know, and I've heard this a lot. I don't even have an accurate source for where this came from. I don't know. There's a song that uses this theme. There's certainly a lot of people that have said it. There's tons of images on the, on the web. But when was the last time you did something for the first time? It's worth us thinking about that for a little bit. Now, you think about children. They do that every day. But as adults, we tend to conform to routine at the risk of missing opportunities to grow and learn. Now, why do we do that? Why do we resist doing things for the first time? Well, you know how it goes, because trying something new means possibly making a mistake, possibly failing, possibly wasting time. But it also means expanding horizons, fulfilling dreams, building confidence, having new adventures and opportunities you never had before, those all come by doing something that you've never done before. I was just talking to Gail Hyatt just a few minutes ago here. Michael and Gail are getting ready to go to Europe and they're going to spend time just seeing things they've never seen before. Going places they've never been before. I remember the last time Joanne and I went to England, we went up, we, we don't like to go to London. That's just another New York city or Los Angeles. We went up to Stratford and Avon up in the area where Shakespeare 
did a lot of his writing. And we, we love just driving around to the little towns that are there. Met some of the most delightful people, had great conversations, went into the little pubs where you're not sure what you're going to get. And the side item is typically peas rather than French fries that we have here. So you order a hamburger, the side item is going to be peas rather than French fries. We had a blast. Now also getting in a car where you go and jerk the door open, there's no steering wheel. Well, that's because the steering wheel is on the right-hand side of the car rather than the left, like here. But just the experience then of driving on the left side of the road. I mean, it was hilarious. We'd get in those roundabouts and I'd just keep going around and around and around until I was really sure exactly how I needed to go out and on what side of the road I needed to be on when I went out. Just doing things for the first time. I mean, I love that kind of experience. You've heard me talk about The Flinch, the little book by Julian Smith, and that's one you can get absolutely free. If you just look it up on Amazon, The Flinch, you can get the Kindle version of that free. It's a delightful little book, but he talks a lot about how we tend to coil in fear just before we do something for the very first time, even if it's something very innocuous, something that we know isn't going to hurt us, but we just, ooh, we kind of have that little resistance show up. The flinch. Go check it out. One of those things, of course, you've heard me talk about probably is stepping into a cold shower. Purposely turn the water on all the way cold. You know what's coming next. Now get in. Well, we flinch. That's the kind of gut reaction we often get when we're going to do something for the first time. Now, in that example, trust me, I've tried it. Get in the cold water. It doesn't kill you. Golly, it shocks you a little bit right at first. And then you realize, hey, this isn't so bad. I can get used to that. Well, I'm going to be encouraging you as we go through this today to do things for the very first time. That's how we open up new opportunities, new adventures. That's the way we open the door for those. Well, let's go to some success stories. This one comes from Tyrone Thomas. Now, he sent me a little audio CD that he's put out. It's really nicely done. It's titled 10 Mistakes to Avoid When Buying Your Next Car. Now, he works in a company where they advise people about buying cars. And he put out this really cool audio CD. You can find it at carbuyingbook.com, carbuyingbook.com. And just advice about help with trading your car, what to look for. I love the way he started out. He talks about the fact that, you know, car salesmen are not your enemies. They're not there to take advantage of you. And a lot of the reason we cringe when going in to talk to a, a car salesman is because we're unknowledgeable about what it is that we're doing. We feel very vulnerable. Well, make yourself more knowledgeable and you can go into that process and know what's going on. You know, I had a, a car experience. Of course, I'm a, you know, love cars anyway, but I had one of our cars. I tend to have kind of an inventory around because we have people come and go. But anyway, had a car where the brake light came on just indicating you know, on, on newer cars, there's a sensor. So when your brake pads get down to be fairly thin, it rubs the end off of a little electrical connection and brings a warning light on your dash. So it tells you the pads are low. So I took a car in 
and I took it into a place where they had been advertising on TV and in the newspaper, $98 break job, $98. So I thought, well, what the heck? I just need pads on this little car. I'll just take it in there. So I took it in, dropped it off. Boom. They called me and said, well, it's going to be $850. It was more, a little more than that. I said, uh, no, I want the $98 break job you advertise. Well, here's how it goes. The $98 is per axle. Now think about it. How often these days do we put brake pads on just the front or the rear? You're going to want the whole set. It's just a common wise thing to do. So, but their advertised price was per axle. Now that didn't show up anywhere, but it's per axle. And then... They want to turn the rotors. I said, well, don't turn the rotors. They don't need to be turned. There's no shimmy in. It's smooth as glass when you brake. Just no, they don't do that. They never put, I said, so you never put brake pads on without turning the rotors. And in this case, they said the rotors were, were too thin to turn. So they needed to be replaced. Thus the 850 plus dollars. I said, so you never put brake pads on a car without turning the rotors. They said, no, we don't. And I'm like, how can you advertise a price that is only for two of the wheels rather than four? And it's a price that you would never honor anyway, because you never just put pads on. I mean, the whole thing just left a sour taste in my mouth. I said, no, thank you. Just put the car back down. I'll come pick it up. And I didn't do anything. Now that's deceptive i don't know why i went off on that tangent but anyway that we don't want to do that kind of thing but you have to have a little bit of knowledge that's where i went off on that my friend tyrone thomas's audio 10 mistakes to avoid when buying a car will help you know a little bit more about car buying and the more you know the more confidence you can have when you walk in to make that next purchase of course i like to buy cars on craigslist ebay front yards garage sales doesn't matter. Always, re- But I'm not opposed to buying from dealers either. Don't get me wrong. The, um, as a matter of fact, both the cars that Joanna and I are driving right now, I bought from dealers. So they're not bad guys. They're not out to get us. But if you understand cars and know what it is that you're looking for, you can go in knowledgeably and hold your head high and do it with confidence. Well, let me move on. Brian says, Dan, I want to write. Thank you for your mentoring. My wife and I own several small businesses that we plan to build up. I've been out of work for a while and applying to several places. I've gone into one business every other week since February as if they were hiring. The answer is always no. I spoke with the primary owner, gave him my resume and continued to ask. I went in last week and again asked the owner and she said she had just that day pulled my information out to call me. I just left the interview where I was told I had the job We even spoke about compensation and I negotiated not only my pay for an industry that is a by the hour industry, but worked out a way to make commissions by growing sales. The interview was so easy and I was totally comfortable, even with the negotiations. They have never had someone offer to help grow sales with commissions and we're very excited about moving forward with that. I'm greatly looking forward to starting this work. Well, Brian, thanks for your note. Thanks for your success story. I love that. You were just persistent. It's exactly what you need to do. When everybody else gives up and goes off in a different direction, you're still standing there. Your persistence paid off. Congratulations on the new job. 
awesome to hear that story. Well, there you go. Here comes Queen. We are the champions. That's what we do every week after our success stories. Got some others woven in today into some of the questions, but I'm going to categorize them in different ways. Anyway, thanks for your success stories. Keep those coming in. You got one you want to share with us? Just go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link. You can leave your story right there or just shoot it in to Ask Dan at 48 Days. Be delighted to include it in an upcoming podcast. Now, here's a nice note. This is a, this is a carryover from last week. Last week, I talked about somebody who was trying to help a little boy who had cancer. They were trying to do a fundraiser. It wasn't going well, and he was wanting to know how they could get some more coverage for that and we helped pass the word along but one of our listeners christy hendricks sent a note in i passed it on directly to the gentleman who shared about the little boy but she says regarding the boy from last week's podcast whose family is looking for fundraising ideas i'm a 48days.net member who owns a wellness company i understand their need and sympathize with their struggle we, we, we built out a health and wellness fundraiser. It consists of an organic dinner and silent auction with full program followed the next day by a family wellness fair and play day. They can choose to hold one or both. And her site is Lifeway Serve. Oh, <laughs> I read that wrong. Lifewayseevents.com. Lifewayseevents.com. Christy Hendricks, registered nurse. Well, thanks for passing that along to us, Christy, and I did pass it along to the gentleman from last week. I believe his name was Brad, who was trying to help the little boy. A great idea. I went to your site and looked at it. A great idea to have a fundraiser that's a lot of fun for people and yet raise money in doing so. Well, Andrew says, wait a minute, I've got this. um, Okay, Andrew says, quick question. What are the disadvantages to doing your 48 days program using the book in a longer time frame than 48 days. The only reason I ask is because right now life at home simply does not afford much time at all to do any reading. I'll spare the details since that would just make this email too long. Please understand. I'm not looking for an easy way out. I really do want to complete the process and complete it in the most ideal time frame as possible. But knowing the realities of life for me and my family currently 48 days just isn't possible. I figure completing it in however many days it takes is better than not completing it at all. With all this in mind, I got to wondering if there might be any disadvantages or even negative impacts for taking more than 48 days to complete the process. So I wanted to ask you what downside there may be if a person is not able to complete it in 48 days. Thank you. Actually, it's from Britain, from Boise, Idaho. Well, let me tell you why I have 48 days. I was working as a career coach, helping people with these transitions who would come in and say, gee, my life stinks. You know, my work is sucking the life out of me. I need to change. We'd map out a plan of action. Boom. You need to do these things. This, these steps walk you right into a new job. And I'd see them two years later and they hadn't done anything. I thought, you got to be kidding me. What's up with this? And the people would say, well, I was going to do it. You know, as, as soon as I, finished my degree, as soon as the kids got out of grade school, you know, as soon as I got the promotion at work, blah, blah, blah. And there were all these contingencies where they would wait and all of a sudden months go by and years go by. So I said, there's got to be a timeline. There's got to be a reasonable timeline in which to make these dramatic changes in our lives. 
And you've heard me tell the story. I mean, it was back when 48 Hours was becoming popular as a TV show. And I thought, I thought I'll bet I could get some brand recognition by using 48. Now, it's not going to be 48 hours. That's a little radical, but 48 days. So I just arbitrarily chose that. And when I did, it was like somebody threw gasoline on my business because people immediately started saying, you mean I really can change my life in 48 days? And my response always was, yes, you can if you create a plan of action and act on it. You can for any major decision. So it was more art than science, but I think it is enough time in which to assess where you are, get the advice and opinion of other people, look at your alternatives, do a little bit more research, choose the best one and act. Boom. That's just a process I think you can go through for anything. So I think 48 days is adequate time to do that. However, in answer to your question, Britton, if you take 49 days or if you take 90 days or 180 days, that's fine. That's entirely up to you. I'm just saying, don't just let week after week go by because you're too busy. You just don't have time. Now, I really think that you can go through the steps, especially if it's just a matter of getting another job in 48 days. If it's starting a business, sure, it may take a little bit longer. But I think you ought to give yourself your own timeline. If it's not going to be 48 days, then you set the timeline where you're committed to do that. Otherwise, there'll always be things that pop up. You'll always be too busy to invest the time to make the changes. And what I'm suggesting is 48 days is enough time where if you carve out a little bit of time so that you do work on the process of change, Man, you can make that happen. It's an intense burst of activity in a short period of time. What happens also, if you are trying to make a transition, you let it drag out, it just eats away at your success in other areas. It just is like that kind of thing that you know you need to do, but you're not doing it. Whereas if you put it into a time frame where you're going to be really intense for a short period of time, yes, you're going to sacrifice watching TV and spending time with friends and going to ball games and all those things in that short period of time. But if you do that in 48 days, boom, it's a means to an end. Get the job done. That's why I recommend it so strongly. Now, this question comes from Tyler. I said, I heard about 48 days a couple years ago from listening to Dave Ramsey, began listening to podcast. Um, I've always loved the advice and I've always been blessed enough to be in a happy situation. Now, however, things aren't quite as simple. I work for a place that builds high end hot rods and restorations. Overall, I, lo- I love this, this sentence. Overall, I am content working here. I make fair money, but I feel like I'm in the wrong seat on the bus. And I've had several discussions to try to change it. Nothing has changed. Now that wrong seat in the bus comes from Jim Collins. Good to great. Got to have the right people in the right seats on the right bus. Anyway, Tyler says an opportunity that keeps showing up is to do freelance work. Being in the right seat in the bus, totally working in my strengths and what I really like doing. The huge drawback to it is freelance means having to travel to work for up to two weeks at a time. It's the hardest decision I've ever faced, not to mention very scary, knowing that it's up to me to find the work and there's a chance of not having work at times. The hourly rate would be almost double what I'm making now, so a little bit of downtime downtime would be okay. 
The end is certainly unknown if I did freelance. I could be extremely burnt out in six months, struggling to find enough work, or it could lead to amazing opportunities and connections I would have never otherwise found if I just stayed content where I am. Simply put, I don't feel fulfilled where I am, and I'm looking for guidance from people that may have been in a similar place. I'm not married, but I have a serious girlfriend. We've been together for a year and a half. Please help. All right, let's unpack this a little bit. You're in a position where things are okay, but you just feel like you're in the wrong seat on the wrong bus. You know that if you left, there would be some uncertainty, some unknowns. But you also know that it could put you in a place where you're loving what you're doing, doing exactly what you want to do. So there's that unknown. Now, the one thing is you, you say that if you left, you know, then you'd be confronted with having to travel a lot, blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure exactly what it is you're proposing to do. I'm not sure if it relates to doing, building out hot rods, restorations, or if it's some new kind of work. But what I would challenge you on is, are you really looking at the only options? Here's an example. I was on a radio interview one time and had a lady call in. And she said, here's my quandary. She said, I was working at a Christian school as a teacher, loved the environment. I loved the students. I loved the support of the parents, loved everything about it, except the pay was peanuts. So I left to contribute more to our family income. I left, took another job in an academic institution. Now I don't have the support of the teachers. I mean, the, the administration don't have the support of the parents. The children are snotty, but I doubled my pay. She says, should I stay where I am with great pay, but a crappy environment? Or should I go back to a wonderful environment, but half the pay? My question is, why would you think there are only options A and B? Let's list options C through Z. Is it unreasonable to think that you could move to an environment where you do love the administration, the parents, the kids you're working with and make reasonable pay or even more than you're making now. That's not unreasonable. As long as we're just looking for new opportunities, let's imagine one that meets every criteria. So if you're thinking about leaving, why don't you start with the idea that you would not have to be gone for two weeks. You find opportunities that would in fact give you the kind of work environment that you want. If you're going to leave, don't just look at one opportunity, look at 10, 20, And then match what you want with exactly what it is that you want to do. Now, I'm going to give you a book here. This is, I'm going to recommend this book for you. And this comes, I want you to go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. You're probably an audio learner anyway. You can do this while you're working on the cars in the shop. Get a copy of Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell's book, the story of success outliers. Now outliers means something that's outside of the norm. So if we would say that we have a room full of people and the average income for people in this room is $50,000, but we've got one guy who makes over a million and one guy who makes 5,000 bucks panhandling on the street, they would be outliers. Those two, because they're so far out of the norm, but that can really work for you. And Malcolm goes through how to make yourself an outlier, how to recognize the things that give you extraordinary 
kind of success. Now, that's the book where he talks about the 10,000-hour rule and all of that as well. But he also talks about something that I find extremely interesting, and that is the Matthew effect. Now, just stick with me here a little bit because this is probably going to be offensive to some of you. But in Matthew, and he's referencing Matthew in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 28 to 30, This is what it says, and I'll tell you what the Matthew effect is. It says, therefore, take from him the valuable coin and give it to the one who has 10 coins. Now, this is part of the the parable of the talents where the master left and he gave, you know, one of his servants 10 coins all the way down. One had one coin. Well, the one who had 10 doubled it and got high praise when the master returned. The one who had one buried it, said, well, I didn't want to risk that. And he And the master came back and that person got a very harsh reprimand. He says, therefore, take from him the valuable coin, give it to the one who has 10 coins. Those who have much will receive more and they will have more than they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit they have will be taken away from them. In another translation, it says, for to everyone who has, who has will more be given And he will be furnished richly so that he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Now, does that sound fair? I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot of the political ideas we get thrown around these days, does it? We want to take from the rich, give to the poor, so we all end up in the middle. No, the Bible gives this Matthew effect where it says, wow, the one who has a lot is going to get even more. Now, in Outliers, in the book I'm recommending, again, you can get that, audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. It takes you right in, and if you're not yet a member, you can get a book absolutely free. Get Outliers. Hear Malcolm Gladwell himself go through the audio version of how to make yourself an outlier. But here's how he breaks this down. He says it's those who are successful who are most likely to be given the kinds of special opportunities that lead to further success. It's the rich who get the biggest tax breaks. It's the best students who get the best teaching and most attention. And it's the biggest nine and 10 year olds who get the most coaching in practice. Success is the result of what sociologists like to call a cumulative advantage. Now, what that means is if you're stuck in a situation that doesn't fit you and doesn't pay well, you stay there, you're likely to lose your job. And I'm going to generalize, obviously, but you're you're likely to lose even what you have. Whereas if you move out and do something that opens the door to a higher level of success, that level of success will open opportunities for more success. I mean, we know that. I mean, we, we talk a lot about the fact that It's a whole lot harder to go from, well, to go from $30,000 to $100,000 than it is to go from $100,000 to $500,000. Because a little bit of success opens your eyes to how success principles work and it starts accumulating, just like Glidewell's talking about that accumulative advantage. So stepping out, taking an approach that you haven't done before, doing something that you've never done before, 
opens the door to that new success that then broadens and gives you more and more and more. It becomes like a, a snowball rolling downhill. When, when you think about somebody like Richard Branson, he doesn't have the kind of risk that most of us would in starting a business because he's done it so many times. You know, he could do it with his eyes closed, one hand tied behind his back because he's had so much success. Now he's had a lot of failure as well, but he's had so much success that it's easier for him to do that. And of course he doesn't even see it as risk. Whereas a lot of us would see it. Oh my goodness. That'd be really risky. Now we have the 48 days coaching mastery program. It's really interesting to watch the people in there in getting the first bit of success. Now here's how this works. An artist can call themselves an artist, but wonder, are they really an artist? But what happens when they sell a painting for a hundred dollars? All of a sudden they see themselves differently. There's a breakthrough. Now they start to describe themselves as an artist. Authors do the same thing. People don't say they're an author when they just enjoy, have a hobby of writing. They just say, yeah, I write in my spare time, but I, but I really, you know, work down at Publix during the week to make a paycheck. As soon as the author sells something for money, gets a, I mean, a $5,000 advance or puts an ebook up and they sell 10 copies at $17 a piece, they're going to start telling people, I am an author. Well, that's the same thing that happens in our coaching mastery program. What I want people to do, and the reason that I require as part of our mastery program, 40 hours of paid coaching, and it has to be paid coaching. If somebody wants to be a coach and they want to just do ministry through their church or community, don't enroll in our coaching mastery program. You'll never get certified because the only way you're going to get certified is by having 40 hours of paid coaching. And that's a big hurdle for some people to get through to that. And there's a lot of things that I hear, just like some of the questions here. Gee, I've been too busy. I just haven't had time to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And then we see people that just get in the game. Got some great examples of that. One just recently is a young lady named Elisa Smith lives up in Indianapolis area. She is a performance coach. She wants to help people who have that intimidation about doing something for the first time or walking up to the starting line in an athletic event or walking out on stage as a speaker. So she helps you with that process of getting ready to go out and do your performance. Recently, she spoke in front of a group of faculty and students at an international music institute. And she said, it's done more for my career as a coach than anything else I've done. She says, I gave away four free coaching sessions, a surprisingly hot commodity, did group coaching in two workshops and sold product to my target market there. Now I'm spending this week following up with free and paid clients from there. And next week I'll follow up individually with each student and faculty member with a gift to remind them of my message and some coaching specials as well as periodic confidence tips. I also recommended to the executive director of the Institute that she find a way to video and sell the performances and workshops. She took my advice. I'm working with the videographer and not only will we split the profit from the DVD sales, my presentations, but he's making me a special copy for me to sell on my website and use as examples of my work to book future engagements. So that was 
one speaking event and she has all this back end of now opportunities that are connected with that. Another one of our coaches, Braun Lide, spoke at a convention. Well, it was, it was a small conference, but it was a multi-level marketing conference for women. One of the women's cosmetic companies. He spoke there, spoke for like 45 minutes. And at the end shared that he was also doing coaching and the lady who introduced him did share that she was working with him as a personal coach, said it was the best decision she'd ever made. He spoke for 45 minutes and booked 18 coaching clients. Now he could have sat at home wondering how he was going to get his first client, but no, he got out there and did something. Got out there and did it. I mean, that's what you've got to do. You got to get out there and do something, do something different. Now, when we had our latest Eagle created here, I loved the process that we went through. Now, this is fresh in my mind because just this week, our 48days.net brainstorming session, I interviewed Jeff Long, who's a videographer. He's full-time. He makes his living doing videos for companies, individuals, does a magnificent job. And he did the video that showed in a time-lapse time frame the creation of what is now the bronze eagle that we call Athena that's sitting on a big boulder out here in front of our sanctuary. But I want you to listen to the audio from that video. Now, I'm going to put a link to it in our notes today so you can go it because I really want you to watch the video. It's just four and a half minutes long. But I want you to listen to the audio of it because it relates to what we're talking about here. And my wanting so much to convey in that ego, the idea of not just sitting around, not just soaring through the air, we're already successful, but that very first time where you know you need to get off the branch and get in the game. So just, I'm, I'm going to play this. This is not something I would normally do, but it ties in here. I want you just to listen to this about how this eagle came about. Listen to the concepts in this. You know, when I had an initial conversation with Scott Stearman, this amazing sculptor about what we could possibly do here that would be a symbol of what we think, represent, want to share at 48 Days, I love the eagle. I love the symbolism of the eagle, and Scott very quickly gravitated to that. But he said, what would you want it to convey? He said, we could do a soaring eagle where the branches are just touching the wing. I says, no, you know, that's not really what I'm envisioning. He said, well, we could just do a stationary eagle. Well, I have a lot of those already. The other idea is how about an eagle that is just pushing off and getting ready to take flight? Uh, it's past the point of no return. His center of gravity is way out in front and he has no option now except to fly. Not only is the eagle pushing off and it's too late to change its mind and go back to where he was, but he is looking forward. He's not looking at where he has been. He's looking forward to where he's going. And I said, what if we did that and my working title for this piece would be something like The Launch. And I said, that is exactly what I want. That's what I want to convey in this eagle. You know, to see the transformation in the process here, it just has so many messages about life itself. Scott 
warned me that in the creation of this magnificent eagle that we're seeing today, there would be a time where it looked like a sick chicken. And I said, I love that. I love explaining to people that when, even when you start toward your dream, you've made your plans, you're committed, you're all in. It doesn't look like the final product when you start off, the final message, the final anything. It goes through that period of being a sick chicken. And yet, after one day of working on this, that sick chicken has turned into this amazing, magnificent eagle. The symbolism of, of the ugly stage that I work through is, 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 is pretty cool, actually, because I go through this, I go through this ugly stage of it doesn't look like anything. There was a moment where it was plumbing pipe attached to a board and I started wrapping aluminum wire around it and stringing stuff out and it was ugly. And I start putting clay on it and it doesn't look like anything. It just looks like a mess. So I had to go through this ugly stage to get to where it looked like what I intended. I knew I would get from all of this chaos to something that was beautiful. It explains the process of artistic creation. It also explains a walk of faith where we don't know exactly what's up ahead. We just take that next step. We're gonna see some amazing things come out of what has now been birthed in this 48 Days Eagle. This is just like my life. This is just like my career. There's always ugly moments and moments where it doesn't look right. But I have confidence in where I'm going that helps me stay on task. That eagle is on its way back to Colorado. It'll be cast in bronze, including the bronze being poured into the forge, and then the final product that'll come back to the property here. We'll have it mounted on a granite column for everybody to see, touch. I want bare spots on that eagle's nose where people are touching it. My goal in sculpting this eagle was that anyone who encounters it or sees it or touches it uh, will be able to plug their story into the meaning of this sculpture. 48 feathers down, a lot of symbolism there, but we're thrilled about what has emerged. This eagle that is ready to launch, just like what we encourage you to do, get your message, create a plan, and launch. Well, there you go. I'll put a link to that. It, it's it moves me when I when I see the video from that, um, and I'll put a link to that. And that was done by Jeff Long from True Focus Media, who did just an amazing job of doing that time lapse. Now, a couple of things reminded me as I listened to that. You know, I said we're going to bring it back here and mount it on a big granite column. Well, that's typically how Scott Stearman's sculptures are mounted, and I went to the people who do the granite columns. I mean, the same people that make a few, the funeral markers in the cemeteries. Yeah, they're the ones. And I talked to them and I looked at different things and I could not get excited about it. And I kept thinking somehow this is, it's too polished. It's too finished. It doesn't represent what I want it to represent. And I finally went back to Scott and I said, Scott, is there any reason we couldn't mount that just on a big boulder that I have right here in my property? And it was like, oh my gosh, nobody's ever done that. But that would be awesome. That would be much more natural as a launching point for the eagle anyway. 
Well, that's exactly what we did. Now, in walking around my property, we've used a lot of rocks for different kind of displays and water features over the years here. And I couldn't really find what I wanted. But you know what? I spotted right over my fence in my neighbor's horse field a perfect shape, perfect boulder for what I wanted. So that's what we've got. Now, some people said, well, goodness, it's in your neighbor's yard. You know, is he going to let you have it? Well, that's one of the results of having great relationships with the neighbors. I mean, I told him, and my goodness, you would have thought he won the lottery to think that I wanted a rock out of his field. So I got my another neighbor who has a tractor much larger than mine that was capable of moving it. So we went over and got that, brought it over here in my property, placed it in position. And then, of course, then I had people saying, well, you know, lots of luck. You can't drill in that. You're not going to be able to drill down in that. And I said, well, watch me. So Scott Stearman came. We got a, a power drill. We spent about an hour and a half, drilled a hole straight down in one inch in diameter, six inches deep. We have a shaft coming off the bottom of the base of the eagle. That's set in there in epoxy. That is there as solid as can be as one piece could not possibly be moved unless you had a very large piece of equipment. And yes, the Eagle does have, it's got a shiny nose. I'm thrilled. Kids invariably walk up and rub the nose of the Eagle. It's at a height. They can do that. It's elevated. We can, it's about you know natural position looking straight in. We do a lot of photographs around there, but it's where people can walk up and touch it and get the sense. And the way it's positioned is just as Scott described where The eagle is coming off the branch. The momentum is too far forward to stay on the branch. He's committed. Wings are spread. And we have then inscription underneath dream, plan, act. That's what we want. And that's what we want you to see. We want to see with your idea as well is just exactly that. Now, a couple more questions here. This one comes from Andrew says, love the podcast, common sense approaches to business building. My question is, do you ever wish you had branded your business as Dan Miller specifically rather than 48 days or more broadly? I'm curious when to know as a business, when it's wise to brand your product with your own name versus the alternative. For instance, Dave Ramsey brands himself primarily with his name. For example, the Dave Ramsey show, DaveRamsey.com sub brands of total money makeover and so on, where you seem to appear primarily as 48 days with your name being slightly more behind the scenes comparatively. Does it matter what you choose when you're just starting out? I'm starting out with my online business with the goal of having online courses designed to help brick and mortar businesses create highly engaging Facebook pages. And I want to brand appropriately from the start. Thanks. Now this is also more art than science. We've had this discussion, believe me, we've had lengthy discussions around this with whether it should be Dan Miller. I really leaned toward 48 days. Being a guy who watches the car business, I see guys put up here, you know, we have Dan Miller Acura down on the corner. What happens if I build that business and I want to sell it? That seems to be an awkward kind of thing. And it's, it hurts a business to have to rebrand, to rename it. Whereas if I called it Franklin Motors, no big deal. 
It can change hands. I think it has more standalone value as a generic name rather than my own name. Now, certainly people connect Dan Miller with 48 Days, but they also connect other people who are involved here. And I want that to be the case. I think it gives me more freedom and flexibility to come and go and to ultimately maybe take more of a back seat, whereas the business can continue to go on from there. I mean, even if you take like Zig Ziglar, who died a couple years ago now, you know, it's still the Zig Ziglar Corporation. And frankly, I think that's a little tough to make that work on a continuing basis. I mean, how long can you go knowing that the name represented the person is no longer around? Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, death. I mean, there's a lot of people that just want to grow a business, but I think it gives you more flexibility in a business to have equity that would be transferable in a business if it's not your personal name. So, yeah, I think that there's good reason for giving it, a name that is not just your own. Now, I mean, Dave Ramsey and I have had that conversation I and mean, he decided to brand it around his own name. He's a real strong personality front and center and things didn't tends to be around for a long time. Certainly nothing wrong with that. It's just a judgment call. Let me go one more question. I'm currently CEO. This comes from Matt. I'm currently a CFO of a small not-for-profit in West Virginia. I'm a CPA with over 20 years of accounting experience. Our organization currently offers fiscal management services to another not-for-profit. Their relationship has been successful and profitable. We're planning to expand these offerings to other not-for-profits that may not be able to afford their own accounting staff or control or CFO. I've heard you many times state that charging by the hour will keep you poor. My question is, how should I evaluate project-based pricing for these services? Do you think and plan hourly and then make the price project based? Thanks for everything. I really enjoyed the online radio show. Well, Matt, I, I think you ought to move as quickly as possible to project based work. My bookkeeper, you're in the accounting bookkeeping field. I mean, she charges me a flat fee. She comes in, gets all my records, takes them, does her thing. I have no idea how long it takes her. We just agreed on a monthly fee. I mean, I hope she makes $100 an hour, and she probably does. But, I mean, I, I don't care how long it takes her. And there are some months, I'm sure, that are easier. But it's I like knowing that it's just one set fee. It works extremely well, and we've been doing that for 10 years, I guess. I want to recommend a book to you. It's called Million Dollar Consulting. Alan Weiss is the author, W-E-I-S-S. Million Dollar Consulting. Alan has been doing this for years. He has one part-time assistant and he bills as an individual consultant over a million dollars year after year after year. Now, the reason he does that is because he does project-based consulting where he goes into an organization, they may need a new sales process. So he says, well, it'll be $85,000. I'm going to structure this for you. Well, he may have three other companies where he's creating new sales processes where 85% of the work is very similar in nature. And then you personalize. So there's a lot of overlap. It's the way you can scale your services because you're doing common work for different organizations. But get the book Million Dollar Consulting by Alan Weiss. It'll help you frame it. I mean, everything that I do is put together not by the hour, but by the project. I would highly recommend it. Well, we got a lot of things going on here. You heard me mention 
Coaching Mastery. Now, our last Coaching with Excellence event is coming up August 28th and 29th. That's the last open event we have all year here at the Sanctuary. So join us for that. If you've got an idea that would position you as a coach, we'll show you how to position yourself, how to leverage that financially right out of the gate where you start getting clients and how to go into the next exciting chapter of your life. Remember our question for today. When was the last time you did something for the first time? I get up every morning and ask myself that question. What am I going to do today for the very first time? I don't want to go an entire day without doing something that I've never done before. It could be driving a different way into town, going to a concert that I've never gone to before. You make the decision. Do something you've never done before. You'll love it. Hey, thanks for being part of this great community we call 48 Days.